Well, hello and welcome everyone to the Deal Flow Show. I'm JP Maroney, your host. This is my co-host, Paul Nicolini. I'm the CEO and founder of Harbor City Capital. Paul is our regional director who works with our investment professionals. That's uh, RIAs, broker dealers, advisor community. And uh, we have a really special guest for you today on the Deal Flow Show. It's someone that you have a background yes. with. His yes. father, you said you played basketball. I did, and, yes, years uh, ago. So we have a great guest on the show today. His name is Ryan Fisher. He's with a company named Camaplan. And you had first heard about Camaplan from one of our strategic partners, right? That's correct, yes, yes. And ironically, I ended up knowing who Ryan was and his dad, which was really cool. Yeah, very cool. So, Ryan, it's good to have you here on the show, and he's joining us. Where are you? You're in, is it Philadelphia? Uh, yes, we're just uh, outside of Philadelphia in Ambler, Pennsylvania. But I'm happy to be here, and I appreciate the invite to the deal flow. I, going back a little bit, and I think I talked to you about this the other day, I did not know what a self-directed IRA was until about 2015. And I was working with a client. This is just like a little personal story. I was working with a client who wanted to become an investor with Harbor City. I'd known this guy for quite a long time. He had been a client of mine, bought all of my information and training products that I'd put out over the years. We got to know each other. And he was going to invest in Harbor City. And because the rate of return was so good, he was going to take money out of an old 401k and an old IRA and take the tax and penalty hit on rolling that or taking that money out, just sure. withdrawing it. Sure. And uh, instead of doing that, I was having a conversation with a guy that I know who I found out did self-directed IRAs. And as I was talking to him, I said, what do you do? And he's telling me about them and how you can roll money out and do these things and, and how beneficial it is. And I said, wait a minute. So my client could, and I laid out the plan. He said, absolutely. And the guy ended up saving like $43,000 in taxes and penalties as a result of and doing... And became your best friend. And became my best, <laughs> my, my new best friend. So um, that was a really delightful introduction to, but I also find that a lot of people have a lot of myths and misunderstandings about self-directed IRAs. So as we back up just a little bit, I want you to tell us a little bit about Camaplan, the history of the company, and then let's dive into a little bit of what you guys do and how you do it. So the history, uh, I grew up in Florida. Uh, Paul's obviously aware of that. That's where I first met Paul. But my dad was a rocket scientist at the Space Center. So he was launching rockets and for most of his career. And then he decided to get out of that. And he went into business with his sister, Maggie, Maggie Palisano. And that's how they 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 started Camel Plan. They're 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 partners in that and still are. So that's kind of where they they kind of teamed up and said, hey, do we want to do this and start a business? And they kind of put those pieces together. My dad had been using self-directed IRAs and was telling his family and stuff about them and friends when he was retired because people <clears throat> had access to those funds now, and he didn't think there was anything you know better than it. Uh, he said, I mean, I can go from forever taxed to never taxed. And he did, he, you know, so it kind of, it kind of grew on him. He was telling him and people kind of said, you know, well, why don't you just start a business doing this? And so then he kind of thought that out and he talked to his sister Maggie and they've, uh, taken it to the next level now. And here we are today, you know, over 17 years later, 
um, with Camouflan. For the yeah, for the average person that doesn't know what y'all do, can you walk us through the the model, the business model, the product it's per se, um, or service, and and how it works? Yeah, so I'll back up a little bit and make it pretty pretty simple here. Um, Self-directed is just an adjective in front of an IRA. The brokerage houses will tell you that you have a self-directed IRA, but what they mean by that is, hey, can here's a list of stocks, bonds, mutual funds, et cetera. You can direct it into anything that you want that's on that list. So for example, if someone says, hey, JP, I'd like to invest into Harbor City, well, Harbor City isn't on their platform. So they're gonna say, well, you can't invest in that or I wanna lend John Doe money. Okay, well, you can't do that because John Doe's not on their list or I wanna buy 123 Ocean Ave. Well, 123 Ocean Ave isn't on their list. So all the rules are exactly the same. An IRA is an IRA. They don't, um, all distributions, contributions are the same. The only thing that's changing is the investment. So instead of buying, you know, a stock or a mutual fund or whatnot, you're buying into a private fund, for example, or you're buying a piece piece of real estate. Um, there are rules that go along with that. Uh, the IRS never tells you what you can invest in, only what you cannot invest in. And that's a pretty simple list, collectibles and life insurance, which includes booze and piece works of art and antiques, that kind of stuff. Um, so as long as it doesn't classify as that, then most likely you're able to use your IRA to invest in it. The reason a lot of people don't know about this is because the, the brokerage houses aren't going to tell you this. The really wealthy people um, have been doing this since the beginning, right? I mean, this is nothing new. Uh, you've been able to do this since the 70s when IRAs were created, but not everybody had a big legal team or accounting team to tell them to do it. And for the average person, they're not going to do it. When you have a billion dollars, they usually don't tell you no. Um, so the really wealthy have always been um, able to do this. And what Camoplan has done is help open that up to anybody else out there that you know wants to get in the alternative space. My experience as a retail broker was was people that were pre-retired and and retiring. So so my experience with self-directed IRAs was that. For the first time in a lot of people's lives, they understood that, okay, I'm not with the company anymore and I have this 401k, what do I do with it? How do I do something with it? Because you can right. you know all the cumbersome ways of a 401k, especially in a large company. And so could you just tell us a little bit about that, transferring, opening up a self-directed IRA, maybe retiring and moving your funds out of a 401k into your own self-directed IRA? It's quite simple. Um, you would just open up an IRA with us like you would at any brokerage house. You can do it online from our website in about 15 minutes. Um, so there's two ways, well, there's three ways to bring money over, right? Um, a transfer, so if it's already in an IRA, you would just transfer it over, no taxes or penalties. Uh, if it's in a 401k or 403b or other qualified plans, it would be a rollover into the IRA. And then obviously you can make a contribution like you can anywhere else. But it's a very simple process. You'll fill out a transfer form or um, a rollover form. There's, there's no taxes or penalties for either. Um, the transfers are non-recordable events. Rollovers are a recordable event, but no big deal. Basically tax-wise, that means 
whoever you roll it over from is going to give you a 1099. We're going to file a 5498. So they cancel right. everything out and um, it's no big deal for people. And it can be done within about a week or two of time. Uh, they can have their truly self-directed IRA up and running. And I always remember that the checks that people got, they directly, to, the cleaner way to do it would be to have the 401k send it directly to their new, newly established self-directed IRA, correct? Right, um, indirect rollovers, you're only allowed, so if you make it out to yourself, you can only do that once per 12 months. Right. They, don't, they don't allow you to do it more than once, but um, yeah, so what you would wanna do typically is just a direct rollover, so for example, you would make the check payable to Camo Plan FBO. Right. That's for benefit of. So Camo Plan FBO, Paul's IRA is who the check would be made payable to. Sometimes they send it to the address on file, which is fine, which is your address. When you get it, send it to us. If they'll send it directly to us, have them do that. It'll save you a few days. Yeah, as you were talking, you were talking about your background as a broker. So the deal flow show is primarily targeted as an audience toward professionals as opposed to the end retail user. You and I talked a, bit, a little bit about that. So we have everything from uh, accounting, legal, professionals, uh, people in, with platforms, fundraising platforms, sponsors, um, issuers, you know, VCs, uh, private equity people watching this show. So here's my question. Do you find that even though we're all in some aspect of the industry considered a, an expert or a professional. Do you find that maybe there are some myths or misunderstandings about how self-directeds work from the professional side? Like if someone's bringing you uh, a cl potential client to do a rollover or maybe if they opened their eyes and understood it better, it would allow them to bring in more assets for whatever their project is, et cetera. But do you find that there are some myths and misunderstandings within the, the professional industry? Um, I do. Uh, I kind of relate it back to something as simple as, you know, when you're a kid and you're trying to learn multiplication, it's tough. But once you understand it, it becomes really easy because most of the objections I see out there are, it's complicated, it's difficult to do, it's risky. And a lot of people say that on risk and it's like, well, I mean, is the stock market risky? What's, what's more risky? Some tangible asset that I can look at and know that I can collect rental income on, right? I mean, I at least have a margin of what it's gonna be worth. I mean, you know, Wall Street, you can wake up and it can be worth three cents on Monday morning when it was at $33 on Friday, right? We have no control over what happens with these companies, what happens overseas. So I think the goal is to mitigate the, the risk and it's not complicated. It's as easy as opening a bank account, right? You, you go anywhere else and you open the account. Like I said, all the rules are the same. You're just changing the investment. Now, we don't give any tax or legal advice. We don't tell the clients, you know, this is a good investment or this is a bad investment. That is that is up to them. But most of the people in this space understand uh, what they're getting into and they can look at those details. They can talk to someone like yourself. They can talk to the other people in the network. They can talk to their attorneys and accountants and other professionals and analyze what they're doing. I mean, there's risk in everything that we do, but... The goal is to take some of that out. Like I know if I buy a property for 
X dollars. Well, I'm only buying that property for X dollars based on the rent because people will ask me all the time, well, how'd you guys do, you know, in 08 and 09 when real estate crashed? Fine. I would say 99%. I mean, unless you were caught up in some big deal that went south, that I, I didn't even see that happen with our clients, but I don't want to say 100% because nothing's 100%. But our clients did fine because when you buy it with an IRA, it's an investment. You're not living in it. From what I've seen in my experience and my family and friends and people, what do we overpay for? We overpay for ourselves. We overpay for, you know, the ocean view, the mountain view, our kids' school districts. Uh, and we're willing to overpay for ourselves. But you and I both know if you buy a property, we don't care that it's on a noisy road. Well, and we're only going to pay what it's going to rent for. Economy does a little better. Okay, maybe you raise the rent. Does a little bit worse. Maybe you have to go go down. But you have a range. You know it's you know it's not going to zero. People need a roof over their head. And even in that time, actually, our clients did. Some of them did a lot better because people ended up upside down in their mortgages, and they let their house go, and now they needed something to rent. So it really depends, you know, on the, on the environment and you know, what uh, investment you're, you're comfortable with. Obviously everybody isn't comfortable uh, with certain things. So, but at least you get the chance to analyze that. You know, to that point too, about the myths. I remember in my experience, um, people that didn't know what a self-directed IRA was, one of the biggest things was, oh my God, don't do it because the IRS is gonna come after me, right? Absolutely. How many times have you heard that? Right, they felt like they're putting a target on their back. Exactly, exactly. How, yeah. how, how true is that? Um, well, generally speaking, and I don't wanna speak for the IRS, but. Really, IRS. really, you don't, wanna, you don't wanna speak for the, come on now. You don't wanna, I'm sorry, go ahead. IRAs are not audited very often. They have been audited. I, I've been doing this for about 10 years now. I've only known one of our clients. That doesn't mean that there wasn't more, but I've only known one and he's a high net worth individual and he gets audited pretty much every few years anyway. So this, this was in one of them. Everything came out clean. But the con to that also is there's not a lot of precedent. So when somebody says, you know, hey, can I do this? Well, I told you the IRS said what you can't do. So maybe, you know, but go look at it because, you know, like I said, we, we don't give them that advice. Everyone's able to look at the publications that the IRS, you know, puts out. We have them on our website as well. So it's not, it's not complicated. Anybody, you know, I can get them over that in two or three minutes and show them publications of, you know, that the IRS says, hey, here you go. And they define, you can read publication 590 and they define things, you know, in the word property, but they never tell you what you can invest in. You know, again, only what you can't. So, yeah. sure. I want to talk a little bit about the mechanics of doing an investment in just a moment. But before I do, if you're watching this or listening to this, I'm JP Maroney with Paul Nicolini. This is the Deal, Deal Flow Show. And um, if you're not subscribed currently to the Deal Flow Show, you can go to thedealflowshow.com. All right, so let's continue. When someone wants to make an investment, because you said it's really just a different name on the investment, when someone wants to make an investment inside of a, I'm going to say a conventional self-directed IRA, because we're going to talk about another layer of this in a moment, 
but in a conventional self-directed IRA that you all put together for someone, when they're ready to make an investment, what does the process look like? Um, the process is basically very simple. The accounts open, the, fu the funds are there. To do the deal, basically all we need is the investment paperwork. Obviously, if you're closing on real estate, it would be the real estate paperwork. If you're investing in you know, a private placement, you'll give us you know, the subscription agreement. Uh, in the IRA's name, Camel Plan, FBO, Paul's IRA, right? And you're going to give us a form that we call our asset purchase directive, which instructs us to, you know, make that investment into the paperwork. Very simple. It's just like any other deal that you do. You're just doing it in the IRA's name. And the, the IRA is treated as its own entity. It's not you. It's going to get its own tax ID number, by the way. Because obviously, if you were making money on your social security number, you'd be paying taxes. So it's just treated like a, se a separate entity, just like if you went and made an investment out of an LLC. Well, the LLC made it well. In this case, the IRA makes it. While we're on that point of, the, of tax, I know you said this. I'm going to say this. We'll probably, um, in fact, Daniel want to put a disclaimer at the beginning of every show since we're dealing with financial things. But we're not here offering any sort of legal accounting or investment advice. This is purely educational purposes and anything that's said here, you should vet past your legal or uh, financial advisor. So my question is though, how is a self-directed tax? You mentioned your father saying, I can pay, what was it? How did you say it? Go from forever tax to never taxed. I can go right. from the forever tax to the never tax. Right. I like that. I like that too. Yeah. That's a new headline for us that we need <laughs> yeah. to put out there. We'll have to quote your father. Yeah. But talk about how they're handled, how it's treated for taxes. Absolutely. So the tax treatment is the same with us as it is anywhere else, but there's there's two sides to it. And I, and I know this. I might be getting ahead of you here, but you have tax deferred accounts, such as a traditional IRA, SEP, simple, et cetera. And then you have um, tax-free accounts, Ross, HSA, you know, educational savings accounts, et cetera. Um, I'm a big fan. My dad's also a big fan of the Roth IRA. Um, so really, and I kind of describe it as, do you want to pay on the seeds or the crop? You're going to make the money in either account exactly the same. You won't pay any taxes, but you're going to get tax deferred money. And I'll just use the traditional IRA, for example, now. So let's take, say you take $50,000 in your traditional IRA and you turn it into $2 million. Well, now let's say you're 75 years old and you want to take the money out. I'm just going to just say, take the whole $2 million out, for example. Well, now you owe taxes on $2 million at whatever rate it is when you're 75, right? If it stayed the same as it does today, you lose, you lose 40% of that, right? Now let's say back in 2020, you took that $50,000 and you converted it to your Roth. Now you do pay the taxes on that $50,000 today. Well, not today when you do your taxes, but for 2020, you'll pay the taxes on the 50,000, but now that 50,000 is worth 2 million, right? You actually take $2 million out and put it in your pocket. You paid back in 2020 on your 50,000, now you don't have to ever pay again. That's why I'm saying forever tax to never tax. I mean, I think it's one of the greatest tools out there for wealth building. I'm not saying that the traditional IRA is bad because you're saving all, you're not paying any taxes, so you have more money to keep making money, but 
you'll you'll pay at the end. That's why I describe it as you know pay on the seeds or the crop there. Ryan, do you pay it up front if you open up a Roth, or is there a time that you can pay you know pay the taxes over time, or is it a one um, lump sum, or or is it a couple years you get to pay that tax? Um, no, it's the so uh, conversions are done in a calendar year. So anytime, I mean, you don't have to convert it all at once. Um, and I'll give you a quick example in a second, but January 1st to December 31st, whatever you convert in that time period, whether it's, you know, every few months or one lump sum, you know, you'll owe in April 15th of that following year, okay. right? But I have seen other people, and it doesn't have to be half and half, I'm just gonna give you an example here. I have seen people when the timing worked out for them and they had an investment, right? They'll go and they'll say, okay, well, all right, I'm going to convert half my account here in December. And then come the first week of January, they right. converted. Now they just, now they just split. Yeah. They lessened the, they lessened the, the liability over, over a two year period. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Um, so people should look at that, you know, especially if they have losses or they made less income. Uh, there's other people say they're, you know, accountants or professionals, you know, well, how much can I convert before I go into the next tax bracket, for example, right? So they can, you can slowly start getting that money over. I mean, I've also seen people, you know, um, about a year ago, I had a doctor come in with close to 2 million. Um, but he knew what his return was and what he was investing in. And he's like, I'm not going to pay on all that later, but not everybody's in a position to convert you know, a million bucks and pay, have the money sitting in their pocket. He was in that position and he didn't want to pay, you know, later on because he knows what his return is going to be on the stuff that he was doing. And, right. um, you know, so. Very good. So let's talk a little bit about professionals again. This is the deal flow show after all. And we're constantly talking about in the deal flow process, where does your business sit where, you know, whether you're uh, an attorney or in your case, self-directed IRAs, so if I'm a deal maker, I'm somewhere in the capital stack of raising money, facilitating capital raising, IPO, whatever, wherever they're at in that whole process of raising funds, how does the professional or the issuer or the money raiser, how do they look at this as sort of a tool in their tool belt? Well, I think it's one of the greatest tools and from my experience with, and I'll just stick with someone raising money, for example, uh, from what I've seen um, professionally, someone who hasn't raised money using self-directed IRAs, it's, you know, a gift from God because wh when we go back and we look at it, usually more than 50%, you know, 60, 70% of the money that they raise once they start doing it ends up coming from IRAs. One, they raise it a lot more quickly. And this is just a general uh, statistic, but they say people have seven times more money in their retirement accounts than they do in discretionary funds. Uh, obviously that's not for everybody, but generally speaking. So when someone says, oh, well, you know, JP, I only have $50,000 I can lend you. And then you say, well, what about your IRA or 401k? They say, well, I have a half a million dollars in there. Sure, I'll give you 250 out of that. It makes, or they might do both. I've seen plenty of people do it personally and, and people use their, their, their IRA. And that also helps when people have um, minimums as well. Okay, well, you have a $100,000 minimum. 
well, I don't have a hundred, but I do have the hundred thousand in my IRA. So now you didn't just lose an investor because you gave them another option. And most people don't know what I tell, and I'm saying this for your audience. I tell people to get that right there in their paperwork. So when somebody says, okay, well, how do I invest? Well, right in your subscription agreement says, okay, you're investing personally, you're investing, you know, through your LLC, you're investing, you're, inve you're investing through a retirement account. And then they say, Whoa, wait a minute. I, I can do this. I can take my brokerage account and take it out of stocks and mutual funds and put it into this deal. It just puts it right there in front of them and makes them aware of it. Cause they're, then they're going to ask questions then they can look it up, you know, and they can talk to me and I can help them and answer any of the questions that they have. But it, it puts it right there. I mean, if you talk to anybody that hasn't raised money with self-directed IRAs and then does, they raise more money and they raise more money quickly. Yeah, that's a good point. It really is. Yeah. That's such more than putting it on the form. Putting it on the form and knowing, telling the, the client investor it's available under qualified funds. Not yeah, only a, that, great, you need to share point. back with the team, uh, the sales team and Betsy and, and everyone else. Yeah to make that part of a scripting say, so how are you intending to invest where you're gonna invest with cash on hand, where you're intending to use your investment account to invest? That could be a great part of that scripting right. question. Right. I'm gonna give you a free copywriting headline, uh, Ryan. No chart, no extra charge for this. All right, this is a JP Maroney special. So this is for issuers and sponsors out there that are raising capital. Here's the headline. A little known source of new capital for your business or project that's seven times larger than the average discretionary fund. There you that's go. That's great. Well, I will also add this to it. I'm assuming you're probably aware of it, but there's trillions, not billions, trillions of dollars in retirement. Yeah. I want you to, there I want you, you to, I, okay, I don't want you to just throw that because I was going to ask you that number if you had some sense because you're in the industry. Is there a quantifiable or is it just a, a, a thrown about number? Is there something that's quantified that we can, uh, can know? There is. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but it's in, it's in the trillions of dollars. All right. If, we, if you can that's find amazing. the statistic, get it to us, and we'll have Jesse put it up on the screen right here at this point. Yeah. So, guys, y'all look right here. Maybe there will be a number here. But yeah. I am very curious about that because yeah. I had heard that. I had heard the T word as well, that there were trillions of dollars locked. And I consider it locked up because you're— As most people do. Yeah. Really? You're at you're literally at the mercy of whoever's pushing the buttons right. on the other side. And this doesn't happen everywhere, of course, but you're at the mercy of potentially someone who's going to churn your money, right, for commissions. Right. And to be able to, that's how they make their money. No is doubt. By making investments. Sure. So if you've got a, a, a pile of cash sitting there, potentially you're, you could be a victim to that. And in many cases, fees. Um, there... Do you have a rundown, because we wanted to talk about that. In fact, Jesse has started uh, storyboarding a documentary about self-directed IRAs. And one of the things we were talking about was the menu of fees, fee both oh. obvious and listed as well as sort of hidden drag on the performance of a traditional retirement account. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you our fees basically, but one of, um, you know, you probably have known um, Mr. Bogle started Vanguard. Um, 
he did a great documentary year, years ago on how the brokerage houses make money and how it depletes money out of what you're getting with the fees and everything. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually pretty crazy. It was, it was, it was a great, um, it was, it was a great documentary that he did. Uh, most people don't know how they're getting fees and what they're, you know, the brokerage houses are getting kickbacks and stuff on. I don't want to quote anything, but, um, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy how much money the average person loses. Cause he did a little graph with it. They didn't take it out how much more um, you would have. And it, and it was, and it was really crazy amount that, that they did there. When Carl and Maggie started the company, they are investors and they, they wanted it to work for investors as well. They use these accounts themselves. Our fees are all transparent. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing tricky about it. I mean, it's unfair, you know, when the brokerage houses will say, okay, well, you lost 10% this month. But then next month they say you made 15%. Well, you made 15% on 10% of your losses. So you right. lost that money. So what, what did you really make? Um, so, they, so they make it a little bit con confusing. Our fees are transparent and they can also be paid. Camo plan fees can be paid outside of the IRA or you can take them out of the IRA. But they're straightforward. It's all on one page. Uh, there is no hidden fees. You know, we have two ways of doing it, asset-based, which is $275 per asset. doesn't matter whether you buy a $50,000 investment or a $50 million investment, it's $275. We don't do any more work to push that paper through, whether it's 50 or 50 million. Um, so Carl and Maggie didn't believe in charging somebody more. Um, a lot of our competitors will charge you more based on that. But we do also have a value-based method and you can always switch between those, and that's based on the value of the account times a multiplier, depending on how much is in there and whatever whatever's best for you. We wanted people to have options, and we wanted it to work for people. That's great. That's great. Ryan, can you tell us about borrowing against your account? All right. So you're not bar you're not borrowing against your account. Um, there is no self dealing, and I encourage everybody. Um, or other sponsors or money raisers to uh, familiarize themselves on our website under um, resource centers, prohibited transactions. Uh, you should read through that. Uh, it'll only take you a few minutes. But your IRA can get a loan. It can get a non, what they call a non-recourse loan. A lot of people want to say, can I buy a property and get a mortgage? No mortgage is the wrong term. Your IRA can get a non-recourse loan. Um, it can get it from institutions. I can give people those if they ask me or email me. Because uh, most likely, I mean, I don't want to speak for the banks, but most likely the big banks aren't going to entertain that idea. Uh, should I just quickly kind of define non-recourse loan? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, because I was going to ask yeah. you to explain it. <laughs> okay. Um, well, it's pretty straightforward. It, it's used in real estate all the time. Uh, so I'm going to back up a little bit. Like I was telling you before, the IRA is its own entity. You can't personally guarantee anything for it. You can't give a benefit for it. They're not running your credit for it. The IRA is the IRA, right? It's its own entity. Basically, the non-recourse loan basically states that if your IRA fails to pay the lender back, the lender is going to take the property, which happens anyway with mortgages and stuff too but there is no personal guarantee they can't come after you or your house or your car or your boat 
They can only come after the asset that's in, in the IRA. Um, and most people understand that uh, your IRA does not have to get it from an institution. So I'll give you a quick example. Say JP, you were buying a house for half a million dollars. And you said, hey, Ryan, I'm going to put um, $250,000 in from my IRA. Would you lend my IRA the other $250,000 to purchase this property? Let's say the numbers and everything made sense. Okay, great. Pay me 10% or whatever, right? Whatever we, we, we agree on. I would feel pretty comfortable with that. I can lend that out of my pocket, right? Or I can lend that out of my IRA to your IRA as well. But I'm pretty sure that you're going to do, I mean, see that, that I don't find as a risky situation to me. Um, you put 50% in, I mean, me, I grew up in real estate. My dad was in real estate, stills in real estate. His parents were in it. So I'm, I'm really comfortable with real estate. I would really be sitting there saying, I hope JP doesn't pay me back because right. I'm going to get, I'm going to get the property for, right. you know, 250,000 and it's worth half a million. I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that all day long. So I'm pretty sure that JP will do whatever it takes to make sure that I get paid. So people just have to kind of understand it. We won't go into too much detail on this, but I do want to mention it. Um, you may have heard before of UBIT and UDF. UBIT is unrelated business income tax. Yeah. If you're running a business out of your IRA, you would, even though it's an IRA, you'd pay some taxes. And then again, with UDFI, unrelated debt financing income, for example, if your IRA gets that non-recourse loan, um, you do end up paying taxes on the borrowed money. Um, and your accountant will take care of this for you. It's a, it's a simple equation for them. But now that you're paying taxes on the borrowed money, you do get depreciation on the borrowed money, for example, there. So that's a topic for another time. I just wanted to mention it, that there are ways to pay taxes if you know, depending on the deal. Excellent. All right. So we're going to get into a Roth versus a traditional IRA in just a moment. Uh, before we do, once again, if you're watching this or listening to this, this is The Deal Flow Show. I'm JP Maroney. This is my co-host, Paul Nicolini. And um, so here's our next question. Roth IRA versus traditional IRA. Can you give us kind of the rundown on each, how they compare, what the uniquenesses are? Yeah, like I was uh, describing a little bit before, the traditional IRA is tax deferred and the Roth IRA is tax free. So we'll kind of go back and think of this as, as, a, as a bar graph. Um, I present this graph a lot. Um, maybe I can send it to you and you can put a visual up for this. But I'm going to use three different accounts to show you the power of these, right? So $50,000 in your traditional IRA. $50,000 in your Roth IRA, $50,000 is you personally, okay? This, each one, so three accounts, you do the same deal, you're making the 10% return, all right? And I used a 30% tax bracket um, for this graph that I did, and I stretched it out to 40 years. Same thing, no different investment, 10% return. Your Roth IRA ends up with 2.2 and change. I'm, not, I'm just gonna round off here. Your Roth IRA has 2.2 million in it. Your traditional IRA also has 2.2 million in it, but you have to pay Uncle Sam back. And like I said, we'll say everything stays the same and I did it with 30% tax bracket. Um, so you end up with 1.5 million in your traditional IRA. And then you personally end up with 748,000. So 
748, 1.5, and 2.2. That's that's a really big difference. So that's how you can the the extent that you can grow your wealth using these accounts because you're keeping all of the money. And that was obviously assuming that everything was invested at 10%. You know, it won't be exact, but it's just to kind of uh, illustrate the point of the power of using these tax deferred and tax free accounts. Ryan, just curious, how many Roth accounts do you guys have as opposed to just a traditional self-directed IRA? Um, because I feel like people aren't, people, a lot of people maybe haven't heard of Roths or they're not educated enough. Do you find that? Well, that's actually a good point. We do a lot of education on it. And like I said, I speak about it all the time and it makes sense to people. We have, we have a lot of Roth accounts, yes. We have people that have converted and have you know, a traditional and Roth and the only reason they have that is so, you know, so for example, there is a myth out there that if you make too much money, you can't have a Roth. No, everybody can have a Roth. Um, you might not be able to contribute directly to it, but everybody can contribute. And we have clients that do this um, word on the street, you know, you'll hear backdoor Roth. It's not necessarily backdoor, but um, that's kind of the name it took on. So basically, if you make too much money, you can you contribute to your traditional IRA, then you fill out the conversion form and we convert it the next day. So the money goes in the Roth. The IRS changed that back in 2010. They were only supposed to do it for a year, but then they got caught up doing other stuff and they left it there. So everybody's been able to do it, you know, with those contributions, but you've always been able to... Uh, convert. Granted, you do pay the taxes when you convert, but if you remember that guy, Mitt, Mitt Romney, when he was running, he, uh, you know, disclosed and, you know, he had over a hundred million dollars in his IRA. So, you know, it's any, anybody, anybody can have these accounts. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was an oops moment too. For me. <laughs> <laughs> was it the Swiss that released that one? Yeah. Um, all right, so here's, here's the next question. Now, when I was first exposed, as I mentioned, to the self-directed IRAs, my client was introduced to a concept that some people call um, an LLC, self-directed IRA, or checkbook IRA, or checkbook control. I hear different terms that are out there. But as opposed to being introduced in the very beginning to the concept of IRA, my very first exposure was to that version of it, which I think has some really interesting aspects to it, some uh, probably benefits and drawbacks, mm. both. But I'd like you to talk about that a little bit, about what the difference is, what maybe elements of complexity this adds and cost, but also maybe some of the benefits that it brings as well. Right, there is, pro, there is pros and cons to this. But basically what the checkbook LLC, which, you know, you said you've heard it referred to a few different ways, checkbook control, checkbook LLC. It basically gives you control, which you're not supposed to have for your audience and for you as well. They can look up Swanson versus the IRS. There was four points. I think they won on two of the weakest points. I think if the IRS comes back and looks at it, they might change that rule. However, they've been, it's Plenty of people do them. I don't necessarily encourage them. It does put more responsibility on the individual with the account because like when everything is run through Camel Plan, you're going to have a record of it through, you know, our account, obviously. 
But basically, when you do the LLC, the LLC is the investment. You'll give us the paperwork showing that the IRA, so the owner of the LLCs, Camel Plan, FBO, JPs, uh, IRA, for example, right? Then you'll say, okay, we'll transfer it to the checking account that you opened up for the LLC. And now the LLC can go make the purchases without Camel Plan's involvement. That's great. I mean, yeah, you might save $95 on a fee or $150, you know, here and there. But everything is now run through that. And you just need to understand the rules. And I encourage everybody that does that to get their accountant and their attorney and everybody on the same page because you're going to want a working relationship. I wouldn't say go set something up online and say, here it is, because you're going to have questions. If anything needs to be filed for the LLC, you know, we're not doing anything for the LLC, right? So you do have a responsibility to make sure that you're running that correctly. So, you know, you should have a relationship and, you know, talk to your professionals uh, when doing that. And I'll just give you a quick example as to a simple mistake, right? So when these IRAs, I said this before, um, no self-dealing, you're a prohibited person. So if you think you can just go to, you know, Home Depot and, you know, buy the lumber, or buy a refrigerator or whatever it is and swipe your credit card and then say, oh, well, I'll just write myself a check from my LLC. Well, we're never going to know you did it. But if the IRS audits you and looks at that, well, now you just, you just messed up your whole IRA because you paid yourself and you're, and you're a prohibited person. And if you're under 59 and a half, you're gonna have a 10% penalty and the taxes from the time when you did it, and maybe even some penalties. Now, if you did that through Cama plan and you said, hey, Cama, you know, I bought the refrigerator, can you cut me a check? We're gonna say, hey, no, JP, you actually can't do that. Return it, get the contractor to do it, and we're gonna send you, you know, and we'll, and we'll, and we'll pay the contractor. So it's, it's simple things like that. Like I said, as long as you understand the rules and most people who do do the LLCs are I'm not saying this in a negative light kind of control freaks. So they're aware of it and they, you know, un understand that, but it's not for everybody. I mean, you just want to look at it and what's the best way to do it. I mean, if you're going to invest into a private fund, right. Or you could invest into Harbor city, for example, that's easy. Do it out of the IRA. There's no need for an LLC. Some people say, well, I'm going to be doing, you know, real estate out of this. I'm going to be paying a bunch of people in this and buying multiple properties. I want to be in control of it. So I don't have to say, you know, camel plan, send it, send a check to them, which we do a lot of real estate out of the IRAs. It's not a problem. Um, people understand it when you get someone, Hey, this is coming, you know, they're, they're, they're sending a check or, or a wire or an ACH. It's not difficult. We, you know, we, we do it every day. Uh, so it's, it's really a preference, a preference thing for the individual. Uh, the other thing is from accountants and attorneys that I've worked with in the past, LLCs and unsecured notes get audited more often. Like I said, I don't know that it's great, but supposedly the LLCs and the unsecured notes get audited more often. You guys would still do the reporting at the end of the year on that? Yes. Or, okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, basically what the individual would do, well, they're required to do is give us fair market value. And that's for any asset, whether you're holding a piece of real estate, you'll tell us what it's worth. If you're holding an LLC, you'll say, hey, here's what my LLC is worth. And we do the reporting for that. Yes, correct. Okay. So this is the Deal Flow Show, and um, we're going to be working actually on a book called Deal Makers, Deal Breakers. 
So I want to kind of shift gears a little bit away from the mechanics of your profession and talk a little bit about the deal flow process because as our guests want to know, um, you know, how do you keep your pipeline full? How do you do good deals? How do you um, continue to work with the best people in your industry, things like that? So I want to talk a little bit about deals for you. And as you think back over the years of doing what you do, any particular deals that are memorable or stand out and uh, that we could talk about a little bit just as kind of a framework of us then going into some of these deal-related questions? Yeah, I've seen some pretty interesting deals out there. I'll just start with um, our most popular investments are physical real estate, private placements. That includes, you know, note funds, real estate funds, et cetera. There's plenty of space in that area. Um, precious metals, that's physical bullion stored in a repository. And then uh, just straight up private lending. Private lending has been pretty big for people, especially with the banks being tight over the past few years and things. Uh, but it's kind of funny. I mean, we had, we had a girl, you know, she had llamas in her Roth IRA and they got shaved. I've heard of that before. I've actually heard of that before. That's funny. Um, I think uh, I had a client buy like one of those big, uh, a commercial dump truck that gets rented out to, you know, like big commercial projects. Oh, the ones with the really big wheels, like in mine, mining and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, so there, there are some random things, you know, coffee beans in Costa Rica. Uh, it's actually funny you asked me that today. I talked to a guy, which I haven't heard. Of, I mean, I've seen this before, but I haven't seen someone do it and he's going to do it out of his IRA. They build these like really fancy uh, tree forts he's doing it up in the Catskills and he's like, it's crazy because he's like, they're, they're, they're booked a year and a half out because they're, you know, people want, people want to stay in these. And I was, that was, that was literally earlier this morning that I was talking. So there are unique things that, that, that people do. I mean, I think we've had people, you know, invest in Christmas trees and stuff too. Um, those are more one-off deals, but I always tell people, you know, as long as it's not collectibles and life insurance, most likely you can do it. Um, a lot of the time, too, stuff comes down to, you know, structure, how you're putting it, how you're putting it together. And, you know, most of the time you can accomplish what you want to accomplish. Cases where I see people can't, and I get this all the time, people want to lend themselves the money. <laughs> Yeah. And they're like, well, is there a workaround? No, there's not a workaround. You can't lend yourself the money. You're, you're a prohibited person. So I've seen, I've seen that. And then, well, I'll, I'll buy, you know, a house for my son or daughter in college and, you know, no, they can't live there. You know, you can't do that. Um, with that being said, though, I'll just elaborate real quick. Because uh, people get confused. Everybody gets confused with people talking out there. They're like, oh no, family, family, no, that's all prohibited. So it's linear ascent and descent. So stemming from you, you, your spouse, parents, grandparents, kids, grandkids, or any business or entity you own 50% or more of or have control of is a prohibited person or entity. You could buy a house and rent it to your brother, sister, aunt, uncle, cousin. You could, if your brother's a contractor, you could hire your brother to do the contracting work. If your dad's a contractor, you can't hire him because he's a prohibited person, right? If you're a contractor, you can't hire yourself. 
because you're a prohibited person. So that gets there. We have a nice chart under prohibited transactions that people can look at on that. But that's definitely a misconception out there as to, you know, prohibited people. What about franchises? Um, you can. You can do franchises. We've had, um, we've had people do that. Um, again, you want to look at the structure. You may be paying that UBIT tax if you're running a business. But I also have had people lend money to someone who's buying it and then it's just a loan um, and they wouldn't have that. But yeah, no, it's definitely something, you know, that they can do. Very cool. You're in business development, account executive, you called it um, sales. By the way, I, I have one of my favorite phrases. My mentor said this to me years ago. And I say this to a lot of people. In fact, I told it to Daniel, who just joined our sales team in the last couple of months. Sales is the only profession where you get paid exactly what you're worth. That's true. Think about that. That's right. That's Think true. about that. So here's my question for you, the deal pipeline, keeping the deal full, deal pipeline full, whether it's strategic alliances for y'all's business, whether it's clients, what, you know, continuing to, to make that happen. What is your process or what are some of the things that you do to keep that pipeline full? Um, we do, and obviously I'm a part of it. We do have a little sales and marketing department. Obviously, marketing helps us with videos and content. So we have, we have two sides. We have people with investments like yourself, for example, that will need clients to open up self-directed IRAs. And a lot of those people work exclusively with us just because it's easy. They got to give fair market values instead of giving them to five different people. They can just give everything to Camaplan. It can get updated. So we have a lot of uh, contacts we work with. And we, we like to work with good people. We make friends slowly. Again, we can't tell a client you know, whether it's a good deal or a bad deal or anything, most of the time, if they're, if they're working with you, they, you know, have already gotten those details and understand what they're investing in. And the IRA is just a simple part of where they're going to be funding it from. Um, but we do also get a lot of um, retail business of people that, you know, just for example, hey, I buy single family homes and I heard somebody told me I could buy it and not have to pay taxes. I don't need the money. So they start doing it out of their retirement accounts. Obviously, we're always trying to work and keep that pipeline going with content. And we're on a lot of different um, platforms. I'm sure you probably are aware of like bigger pockets and stuff. So we just try to make our presence uh, as well known in social media so that we can get more of the information out there. And this is good information for you and your audience. This has a lot of potential and a lot of space to grow, which is great for us as well and great for investors like yourself. Somewhere around 3% of the country uses truly self-directed IRAs right now. So that has a lot of room to oh. grow. That's a market that just happens. Let me think, <laughs> trillions of dollars. <laughs> Only 3% market penetration. Hmm. Maybe that's something sponsors and issuers should pay attention and money managers should pay attention to. Yeah. I mean, the thing is the brokerage houses aren't going to, you know, tell their clients that they can do this or most people aren't, I'm going to say, because that takes, that takes money out of, out of their own, their own pocket. Uh, so people have to kind of stumble along this, you know, and, and then there's also a little bit of a learning curve. They have to check it out because I, I've literally seen this happen I, hundreds of times, probably 
someone will come over and say, all right, well, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to do an investment for 50,000 or 150,000, whatever it is. And six months later, a year later, I talk to them, you know, and they have a half a million dollars. They're like, oh, well, I tested it out at work. This is actually pretty cool. So it's out there. There's books, there's articles. It does get on TV. If you're probably up at two in the morning watching a, one of those info ads, but the, 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 the information is there. It's nothing new. It's been around since the seventies, you know, when IRAs were created, but really only the really wealthy, you know, had access to it. When you have a billion dollars, they don't tell you no. So I don't want to say that a brokerage house won't do it. Um, but they definitely don't do it for the common person and they don't like to do it. They don't want to do it. It's not in their wheelhouse, but they have done it. I've also gotten assets transferred from big brokerage houses to Camaplan because they don't want to deal with it anymore anyway. And they charge a lot um, to do that because they're, they have a special, a special team uh, that has to handle that. And most people aren't that familiar with like the alternative space and what they're doing and how to do it. So they have to have a little dedicated person to figure that out for them. Couple of more questions and then we're gonna let you go. These are again, deal related questions. Uh, once again, if you're listening or watching, this is The Deal Flow Show. I'm JP Maroney, your host with Paul Nicolini, our co-host here at Harbor City Capital. All right, so deal makers, deal breakers. Let's talk about deal makers. What are some of the things that you're looking for in a relationship with someone on the other side of the deal table? What are the, the positive characteristics or behaviors or elements to that person or the deal that make you go, this is something I think we need to look at. Um, yeah, we, like again, we, we can't quote unquote analyze the deal or anything, but if I don't have a, like, if I don't trust someone, I don't want to work with them because we want our clients to, to do well. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have my name next to, you know, Bernie Madoff's, right? So we do our best not to, like, obviously nothing's, you know, a hundred percent proof. Um, but you know, we like, we like to kind of get to know the person, you know, when someone's making their payments and they've never missed a payment, that's a good thing. If someone misses a payment, you know, well, what happened, what happened here, what's going on. And sometimes there's, there's a reason for, for something like that to happen, but no, we want to work with good, honest people. If you know, you started a fund and then you never paid anyone back and it's in the newspapers and then you say, Hey, I have a new fund, you know, we're going to be raising money for this. Um, that doesn't make me feel comfortable. How do I know that you wouldn't do that again? So, so we just look at, you know, want to, want to work with, uh, with good, good, honest people. Excellent. Anything else questions? I have one last question, but anything else? No, well, mind? I was going to say to that point too, other than the gut instinct, which I get, cause that's, you know, you want to work with the, you know, honest people and what have you, but did you guys have a due diligence kind of protocol? You know, do you have a sort of a structured due diligence that when you might get involved in a deal that, you know, these people have to check certain boxes? Um, no, we're not, we're, we're not allowed to, to, to do that. But I mean, we don't have to take business from people that we're not comfortable with. I mean, we do get all the, you know, we're not going to do a deal with someone if they don't have all their paperwork. I mean, for example, with a PPM, sure. you're going to give us articles of incorporation, the right. operating agreement. And then obviously for each client, they'll give us a subscription agreement. 
So there are required documents, you know, that we'll need to see to be able to, uh, you know, do let people make investments into right. that. But uh, we can't do, you know, the due diligence on John Doe. Okay. All right. Once again, Deal Flow Show, J.P. Maroney, Paul Nicolini. We've got Ryan Fisher with us from Cama Plan. And as we finish up this interview, and thanks for spending a little bit of extra time with us, Ryan. As we finish up this interview, um, I'm a big believer that the more you give, the more you get. But you got to give, give, give before you get, get, get. That's law. And so we want to give to you, and we want our audience to have a chance to give to you. What kind of people or opportunities would you like to connect with that would help you and Cama Plan as y'all grow your business? Um, we love to work with um, people that have an, an investment, right? Um, if you're raising money, we can help you. And I think, I think it's a, I think it's a win-win for, for everybody out there. Um, it opens up access to more funds and obviously it helps camo plan. And I did want to mention too, that I'll give my contact information here, here at the end, if you don't mind JP. Uh, but yeah, anybody that's look, looking to do that, but even if it's a single deal, uh, I won't go into this in detail and we can talk privately on this, but you're not just limited. Your IRA can also partner into deals. It can even partner with you. Like I said, you're two separate entities. I don't want to confuse you there with self-dealing though. Um, but say you and your wife wanted to, you know, buy a property and I'm just going to say 50, 50, it doesn't need to be 50, 50, but it could be camera plan FBO JP's IRA and camera plan FBO JP's wife's IRA 50%. And they can, you know, buy it or they're, you know, I have people that include their kids and stuff in it. Uh, so there, there's, there's a lot of ways. Um, and on our website at camoplan.com, there's a 20 ways to fund a deal underneath resource center. So I'd encourage people to look at that because it just can help, you know, in the back of your mind for whatever deal that you're looking at. Uh, there's multiple ways to, uh, to fund, a, fund a deal and that gives you 20 of them. Excellent. Any last comments? Uh, no, I'm I'm good. This has been a, Ryan's. Ryan's really hit it out of the park here for I, us. I mean, I really yeah. appreciate you, and on behalf of our team here at Harbor City, our video genius Jesse McMinn, Daniel Pinarenda, who helped set this up and laid a lot of the groundwork. We really appreciate you and your team, your family there at Cama Plan, being a part of the Deal Flow Show. If you're watching or listening, this is J.P. Maroney, my cohort here, Paul Nicolini. We're from Harbor City Capital, and this is the Deal Flow Show. If you're involved in the capital stack, if you're involved in the deal-making process, if you're involved in raising capital, deploying capital on the legal side, on the accounting side, if you're a service provider, if you have a platform like Cama Plan, you have a, a, a fundraising platform or some sort of platform that facilitates um, anything that's involved in that whole deal-making process, process, administration, okay. yeah. everything, and you have a story to tell and you have information and value to give to our audience, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us. You can go to thedealflowshow.com, thedealflowshow.com, and get us your information. Um, one thing before we go, why don't you give out your contact information for us, Ryan? Sure. It's Ryan Fisher. That's R-Y-A-N-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. And my email is rfisher, again, R-F-I-S-C-H-E-R 
at camaplan.com. That's C-A-M-A-P-L-A-N.com. Uh, I can be reached at 215-283-2868. Again, that's 215-283-2868. And there's a lot of resources that you can do research on from our website and under Cama Academy as well at camaplan.com. Uh, thanks for having me here today, guys. I appreciate it and look forward uh, to the future. Absolutely, our pleasure. And Paul Nicolini, JP Maroney, take you. care, everyone. Go out, fill your pipeline, and do your deals. We'll see you in another episode of The Deal Flow Show. See you again. Thanks, Paul. For more episodes, visit thedealflowshow.com and subscribe.